everybody and welcome to the EC Method. I am one of your coaches, Chloe Maidley. And I am your other coach, Emma Story Gordon. Our goal at the EC Method is to encourage, educate and empower you to get the results that you've always wanted. Listen to our weekly podcasts, go to our website, theecmethod.co.uk or simply follow us on Instagram to get more information. everybody and um welcome back to the third live of the week we're not actually doing lives at the moment because something weird is happening um with our skype so we're doing zoom recordings and then just throwing them in the group um but as some of you will know the grads will know we like to get um guests on who specialize in certain areas because we think it'll really help you and emma and i as much as we like to think we know everything we absolutely don't um so basically this is paul mcgee Hey Paul. Hello. <laughs> Who I've known for about what four years now? Yeah, I think so, three or four years, something like that. Yeah, so Paul um works with my husband James. Um he is now I'm gonna just do my best to get this right, but Paul, if I you're gonna introduce yourself after, so correct anything you're wrong. He's a sports therapist that used to work with a piece of equipment, well, used to work with a company called Intrex, um, who produced a piece of equipment, which I'll let him talk about. And now I'm pretty sure he's kind of gone it alone and kind of does his own almost like physiotherapy and sports therapy um, and has a lot of amazing stories to tell about clients that he's worked with um, who have suffered from various pain disorders, um, which is part of the reason why we wanted to get him on because we know that a couple of you have issues with stuff like that. Um, and also he's now gone into um, studying and looking into things like bone density and kind of preventing and or reversing osteoporosis um, and obviously is kind of very well versed in terms of uh, women approaching middle age, older age, menopause um, and things like that. So I will shut up now and Paul, why don't you tell everybody, do a better introduction than I just did. <laughs> I don't think I can do better, that was, uh, that was, you absolutely nailed it, that is sort of, uh ex interex therapy kind of clinical clinician sort of thing and i and i left that to come back to doing my sports therapy clinic i i had my sports therapy clinic um oh gosh late 1990s i started and then in 2003 i started using this technology it was a, a russian-based technology at that time it was very complex in terms of the training but had this just amazing results on some patients and very difficult pain conditions and that company got taken on by an American company, set up Interex in 2004, and then I went to work for them in 2005. So I went from sort of this little me on my own, treating sports injuries, doing some sports massage, specializing in headaches and, and migraine and that kind of thing, to suddenly being sort of thrust into the world of, of severe chronic pain, which is just, you know, stuff that I didn't know about at all at the time. And and now eight, nine years of working for them and another seven, eight years back on my own actually treating these kind of conditions as, as just, it's, it's an amazing how much pain some people are in it. It never ceases to amaze me. And what are those conditions? So like, there must be so many similarities between things like chronic fatigue syndrome, like chronic back pain, like cancer related fatigue and, and these things that are, so just to give a little bit of context, like I've had back pain for about a year now. I've just had um, surgery on my back. Okay. But as soon as the doctor said, I'm going to refer you to the chronic pain clinic, like I burst out crying because it's like, then it's like this, we think you're going to have this forever. 
so now we need to treat it in that mindset and and for me it was a really tough mindset shift from I'll just get through today and tomorrow might be better to we didn't think this is going to get better Mm. you need to deal with that for the rest of your life and I don't know how much there's probably a million questions in there but like some of the similarities you see between what you would deem as really different conditions but then also there must be a huge mindset in that as well there is it's do you know what? i hear that story it makes the hairs on my neck stand on end when i hear that I, I had a young girl in yesterday and she was told by a physio that if she'd suffered her condition for longer than a year then she'll have it for life it's been two years now and to give a 17 year old girl no hope of getting better um, affects the mind you know it affects your motivation and a big part of chronic pain is depression and low serotonin levels and people that who are depressed have a high incidence of chronic pain people who have chronic pain have a high incidence of depression compared to the normal population so when you start throwing that sort of thing together it's like oh it hurts Um, you're never going to be able to do this again it starts to create more pain and then the next doctor says yeah it's getting worse you're never going to do this so people spiral into this kind of quagmire of too much pain to do anything about it, to want to do anything about it, which causes more pain. And you end up just getting worse and worse and worse. So that, that's... Yeah, throw in all the medications that they give you and then you've also, you're also addicted to pain meds and blah, blah. You know, it, you can see in like, I've seen sort of firsthand, not personally, but like how that can spiral. But you yeah. can like foresee it coming and it's just, yeah, very frustrating. Absolutely. And I think, again, you, you know, you can have someone who's, who's like, I don't, I don't take drugs, I won't take anything, I don't do that. A year or two of severe chronic pain, and they will take anything that the specialist doctor says that they should. And I've even had cases where patients have been told they're not going to get ongoing care if they go and try something else. If they go and try an experiment. Oh, yeah. When I went private, they took me off everything for the end. Like I was on a list waiting to see a chronic pain specialist. And they were like, oh, you've gone to see someone else. That's fine. We'll just take you off the list. Yeah, that's it. We'll, yeah, we won't treat you because now what you're doing over there is going to affect what we're doing here. So we can't monitor that. So you're off the list. Yeah. Um, That's awful. I like Emma. Your story, like, made yeah, that made me really upset. I didn't know that <laughs> that had been said to you, and that's how you reacted. And I didn't know that that is what gets said to people. You know, yeah, you've got this for life, and that's the end of that. And actually, there have been so many cases in in recent medical history where people have been diagnosed with terminal illnesses and things, and have actually managed to kind of survive for the rest of their lives, which I find really interesting and and I think you're right the second second that you take away hope or positivity for somebody is the second that their condition is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and spiral because think of the stress of knowing that you have to manage that and then we know what stress does to the body um and it it is a never-ending cycle of hell um and that and it's awful um so okay so Paul what what are you what are your like what are your kind of treatments how do you go about this um and what have you seen to have a really positive effect with your clients um and yeah kind of tell us some of your kind of old on the ground first-hand stories yeah it, it's and I'll, I'll sort of finish off the, the the question as well that emma had too as part of that because one of the common things i've found with this is central sensitization which is a mechanism that's a pain mechanism whereby essentially the the body just elevates its sensitivity to things. So 
There's something called allodynia where things that shouldn't hurt, so just kind of like rubbing the skin can be painful to people with chronic pain. That's where something's not, shouldn't be painful, but is painful. And then you have hyperalgesia, which is when something should be painful, like banging your elbow on a door or, or you know, kind of falling over, tripping over. And those are more painful than they should be. So you get this hypersensitivity and heightened kind of alertness and awareness of, of sensation and pain. And I would say, Emma, across all of those, that is the common thing that I see. And that, coming back to conditions, uh, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, migraines, headaches, um, and, and this, this other condition, complex regional pain syndrome, is probably the worst one, I think, uh, of all out there. Um, in terms of severity of symptoms, I think fibromyalgia is often diagnosed for people when they doctors just don't know what it is. It's kind of like you've got pain everywhere. There's nothing on the MRI scan. You're a woman, so let's call it fibromyalgia and, and therefore hit, go and see this guy and get some pain medication. Um, but it's often brought on with trauma, and that's both physical uh, and mental trauma. It can be emotional issues that, that drive it. In, you know, marrying up with a physical issue. So you can get an injury, you know, just after a divorce or, you know, stress of your child going to school and you roll your ankle in the gym. It's that sort of thing that comes together and creates this kind of mix of the bomb going off in the nervous system and it becoming hypersensitive. So in all of those, that, that central sensitization and nervous system that just kind of sets fire to itself is what I see of, uh, you know, across the board with different things. And so, you know, I, I, as I was saying, I treat, I used to treat, I still treat headaches and migraines and that kind of thing. And one of, and I do that with massage of, of traps sort of from uh, T12, you know, halfway down the spine, kind of all the way up to the neck, acupressure points around the face and head, the stretching mobility for the upper neck. Most people, their biggest trigger for their um, tension, headaches and migraines is their upper, their upper neck not being mobile. And that comes from, you know, activity with um, just stress it can be. I've got it, you know, new mothers in terms of the stress of having a baby and then carrying that baby around um, is one thing, sleeping badly. And, you know, being in front of a desk, you know, your, your correct neck position should be about there. And the minute people go in front of a computer and do that, they straighten their neck out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're like... Doing yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that just oh, one quick question uh, on migraine. Sorry, before I forget to ask, some cool. people say that if you pierce part of your ear, that can reduce migraines. Have you ever like, is there any truth to that? Yeah. Do you know what? I, um, I did some with Interex. I did some work with the military in the U S and the, the head of the U S military pain management was an acupuncturist. And, uh, and so we were working through sort of, the implementation of Interact through the Air Force and various places and, and, and the Pentagon, in fact, actually, which was a wonderful day out. Um, yeah. He, he How had, cool is that? Oh, I know. Was the best. It was just brilliant. It was, it was like a fancy dress party, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> nurses and doctors in the US military, they wear the uniform of their rank. So if you're like a major in the Air Force, you're, like, you're wearing a flight suit like Tom Cruise, but you're a nurse. And so it was just like had someone dressed like, you know, someone who's about to jump in an F-14 and then someone else dressed up in a white suit and someone, it was brilliant. Anyway. Um, um, <laughs> it's like my fantasy. I'd be like, ooh, <laughs> I love uniforms. Um, <laughs> anyway, go on. So, uh, so yeah, he, he has put together what he calls the battlefield points because he treat, they treat, that part of their remit was to 
treat people who've just basically been blown up and to control their pain. And it was all the various um, aural acupuncture points. And they have a little stud, of a little tiny kind of dark shaped stud, and they would put it in at certain points in the ear and it would that it would really help with their pain. So this like even wow. this has just had an Imagine all like the army lot going around with like proper hoop earrings and being like, it's for my <laughs> migraine. <laughs> exactly. So I absolutely believe that yes, you, you could help treat something like that. But what that doesn't treat is the trigger of it. Mm. So that can treat the pain, but not the problem. And and if the problem is your neck posture. And, and with that tension on the muscles and the position of C1 in the upper neck, you can get rid of the pain, but nothing else has changed. And that's why it's so important to, to sort of work through the whole pathway of pain of those things, right from the bottom of the trapezius, which is T12, all the way over to the eyebrows uh, and so on. Um, and it's patients like that that I would treat that would flare up. Like they'd, they'd just say, oh, I, I was just in agony for about three days after the treatment. They're the ones that I put into the chronic uh, central sensitization bracket. Like this is a chronic pain patient. This isn't just someone suffering tension headaches. They've got chronic pain and headaches, one of the symptoms. And that's when I'll switch to treating with the Interax, which is the, you know, the device I work with. It's a, it's a sort of handheld TENS device, basically, but it's very powerful. And I start to, to try and modify the sensitivity of their nervous system rather than going, right, let's fix your headache. We've got to calm the nerves down. It's like you've got to put the fire out before you can then do the things that will fix the neck. Because if you try and fix the neck, you're just kind of like throwing fuel on the fire without calming calming the flames down. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's again... interesting because I worked on a study. So before I do what I do now, I, I used to work in research. And we were working on a study with chronic fatigue syndrome. And I, like, I mean, reading about it and learning about it was so insightful, but also just like made you realize really how tough it's not just the stigma around it of, are you sure you're in pain or you're just always tired and don't want to come to work yeah. or, yeah. and also, but the fact that I like honestly think it'd be one of the worst conditions to have. There is no, we don't know the cause of it. And thus we don't know the, like, there isn't one treatment for it and everyone is obviously different. Yeah. But what we were looking at is inflammation, so inflammatory markers in the blood. So a lot of people would say that chronic fatigue syndrome is just about, the, it's a psychological condition, mm -hmm. but actually showing that there was physiological like markers of that as well was, I think, helpful to people with chronic fatigue syndrome because they're like, look, yeah. there is something going on. So anyway, they have quite heightened inflammation. And what this study was looking at, and like I was just a research assistant, so... I didn't have um, any say in the study, but we were basically looking at taking the blood out and, and seeing if we could reduce the amount of inflammation that was in the blood. So again, it completely treating the symptom, not the cause. Like if you reduce yeah. the inflammation, will the pain go away? I really doubt it. I think, I think that was a byproduct of whatever was causing the pain. Yeah. But it's interesting that a lot of pain medication and same with like with my back, it's mean like painkillers and this and this and this. It, nothing's but the pain is still there underneath the amount of the ridiculous amount of drugs that you've given me like that's yeah. not curative for me so it is yeah interesting that a lot of people do seem to focus on and a hell of a lot of money is spent on focusing on like the symptom not the cause yeah exactly and you know within that as well it's so interesting because there's that 
you know, the psychogenic pain where pain is coming from elements, you know, behavioral or, or mind issues, and that can be thought processes, um, depression, you know, mental elements, PTSD, um, all sorts of things. And then you've got somatogenic pain, which is where you've got damaged tissue causing pain. And the old fashioned view was like, it was either one or the other, you know, you've, you, these are something on an MRI, that scan that's causing it, or you're just making up, it's all in your head. And with yeah. that, you're just making it up. And it's much more now sort of understanding the relationship that people have with pain because stress is one of those mental disorders that elevates pain. Now, are you suggesting then that if someone just like stops their job and doesn't have stress, their pain's going to go away? But the things work together because if you, you know, sprain your ankle at a very difficult time in your life, the two things have worked together. They're immediately there together. It's a pain's an experience. And everyone's experience of it is different. I have a patient, he's, he's amazing. Um, he's quite funny, but he, he has a, an older brother who used to sort of punch him up a little bit when he was young. And his only way he could battle that was to laugh. And so now when I'm treating him for his severe back pain, he almost hyperventilates in stopping laughing. Like most people say, ow, that's too much. Like, don't do that. He just pure guttural bursts out laughing. Like this is James. Laughing. This is what James does. I know when Paul's in the house, because I'll be like somewhere around and I'll just hear James like, oh my, oh God, he's getting treatment. Because he does it all the time. But yeah, I find this really funny. So so if you feel, okay. So so you tend to start with um, like hands on physical treatment. And if you find that the client then reacts to that by having a flare up, you put them in a chronic pain category and then you start using the interrex. Yeah. And then what is the protocol after that? And what do you tend to find uh, happens with the clients and their, and their kind of experience within their, within their chronic pain? Yeah, well, everyone's a little bit different in terms of the balance with it. You know, and I treat every pain patient separately. I think that's the difficulty with often, you know, going with, with doctors and neurologists, it's, you know, it's saying what the research says this condition should have. Of course, if you haven't got the condition right, then you're also going to give the wrong treatment at that point, which when mm. there's such a molding of problems here. Yeah. Um, so I treat everyone individually with that. And so if it's, if it's something that, you know, was a, they're getting chronic fatigue and headaches, but it started with whiplash and a car crash six months ago, I'll probably have a, a fairly good balance of hands-on therapy, uh, of massage and stretching and, and strengthening with the interacts. If it's a patient that has come to me and they have a diagnosis of complex regional pain syndrome or phantom limb pain or fibromyalgia, and we kind of know their history sort of says, yeah, if I touch you with my hands, then it's just going to hurt you. So we've got to control it. Then what I, what I usually do is a, a, an interact treatment from me once a week. So it's about an hour or 90 minute treatment with the interacts here. And then I have a, a sort of a fleet of interacts that I rent out to patients and they do sort of six days a week treatment at home. Um, I've only got a few patients here and there that kind of can manage off the very occasional treatment from me in the early stages. Um, but uh, but most- so did you say it's like a TENS machine, like a really high- yeah, so the design of it, those are the electrodes, the positive and negative electrodes on, on there. And so by them being quite small, it limits the depth of penetration. And one of the limitations with TENS is that if you turn it up more powerfully, because it gets into the muscle, it causes painful muscle contraction. 
So the dosage of TENS is controlled by how comfortable it is by the patient. Mm. So the clever bit in this is that it limits the stimulation just to the nerves in the skin, the superficial tissue. And by doing that, you can absolutely blast those nerves with much more current than you can if it went deeper. And it's the reaction of the nervous system to that blasting of the nerves in the skin that creates the change in chemicals in the nervous system, endorphin release, and even reduction of swelling as well and inflammatory markers just by treating the skin. So it's sort of a bit like acupuncture in some ways. Um, but the clever bit is that if you use that electrode with a normal TENS device, it burns the skin in about three seconds because the electricity changes the conductivity of skin. And if the yeah. device doesn't alter its output accordingly, then it just ramps the current up. So the clever bit in this is that it protects the skin from any damage by mm. altering its output as the skin changes. So, so it's cool. I um, slept with my TENS machine on for about six months. It was the only way I could sleep. But then, and yeah. the scary part was like in the morning, because obviously the skin kind of goes numb. Like yeah. once it's been on for a while, like whatever, five hours or something. But then in yeah. the morning, it's like, oh, this is off. I'll just take it off. And then when it touches the nerves on your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Nice way to wake up. You definitely wake up. <laughs> and and I'm shocked. James, um, James and the rugby boys swear by it. They swear by it. As soon as Paul started treating them and like renting it out. Can you hear me? Have I lost you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it went as soon as I, so Paul, so James took one off you, didn't he? Was it six, maybe, Wade? They all, they, and they all swear by it. They said that they're, basically the pain that they were getting from the inflammation that was caused during and after a rugby game was, it, it makes their real life pretty unmanageable. Like, it's, it's pretty hard. And obviously, as we've talked about, it affects your psyche, it affects your mental yeah. health. Um, like, even James at the moment, as Paul knows, because he's started treating him again now that quarantine's over, he's in a really uh, tricky mental state because he's always in pain. Um, and that's due to rugby and then the fantastic idea he had of trying to become a MMA fighter, which was really clever when he was already in pain all day, every day. Um, and as soon as, soon as uh, Paul started treating James again and, and, you know, these boys started kind of using the interest on themselves like Monday through Sunday, their ability to function in normal life with like a normal mentality just, I mean, it was, it's yeah. just so obvious. You can't miss it. Um, I'll never forget the book when Paul came in and, and James was like, my back's gone again and I can't figure out why and I don't know why. And he took one look at the sofa and the dent in the back of the sofa and he was like, that's why stop sitting in it. So James yeah. has now put his like his like back chair in the living room where he now sits. It's so cute. And his back pain's completely, you know, improved. Um, so yeah, I mean I can testify this this machine, this little bit of kit makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and it what, what it does is it you know, I think it's, 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 part of, it's part of the toolbox for me. For some people, it's, it's the magic, you know, it's the magic wand. It's the thing that is life-changing for them, particularly the fibromyalgia sufferers, the CRPS, and so on. But it's for often it's the way out of that spiral. So because I'm confident that when they come in and they've got this problem and I've treated it before, I say, yeah, don't worry about what the doctor said. The doctor hasn't got this, and I'm lucky enough to know how to use it and get you better. Instantly, the patient sort of like, Wow, okay, and then when I start naming symptoms and how they unravel and how they start, they're like, okay, this guy really understands this. And you can understand the condition um, more when you see it unravel because you can see symptoms go, and then in a flare-up, they come back a little bit, and you see them go, and you see people spiral out of this, and you get them functional. If you can control the pain and get them moving, 
and get them moving and reduces the pain and then they can yeah. do more then they can get stronger then they feel better then they do more you spiral them out very very quickly and this is kind of like the doorway into it not necessarily the the whole spiral because you've still got to do the rehabilitation and strength training and flexibility and 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 also modify behavior expectations of what they can and can't do so that some people you know they feel great after a treatment and then they go out and walk like five miles that day and they come in three days later they go oh, i've had a massive fair my feet hurt my shoulders hurt and i go well, what did you do the day after the treatment they're like oh yeah we went shopping all day around the shopping center and walked further than i've walked in three years and you think okay that's what's caused the flare-up so uh, i've got a little i had a statistician actually i don't know if i'm on a mirror here um she's been suffering from um fibromyalgia for i think it was six years it was either four or six years pretty much eight or nine um, out of 10 pain every day. And she's one of these amazing ones that has responded really well to it. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a trauma, but she put all her pain scores together. I don't know if you can see yet. Yeah, oh, wow. So from nine out of 10 to zero was four weeks. And that was with one treatment a week. And, and then you can see thereafter little blips and and so on as it went on over a sort of a four month period. So for some of those really difficult conditions, that's what I see. It's like a really hard, intense first month, very much a roller coaster. But then you start to get functional changes, improvements in motivation, and you know, people start to go from there really. Tell them the story of the 70 year old woman that you got to pull a truck. <laughs> ah, she wasn't 70 actually, but do you know what? I've got a photograph of her on the wall. <laughs> I love it. Paul gets so excited by his clients and he's oh, like, look at this one, look at this one. Truck Paul Claire, all my clients call her. So this is again part of all of this, you know, chronic pain side of things. She'd been in pain. I actually met her in the gym. Her gym instructor introduced me to her. She was doing bicep curls while crying. Um, and she was <laughs> 49 years old and she was just battling. She tried everything, spent a fortune on it. Um, and she just had pain everywhere. Everything hurt. Her core, her shoulders, her neck, headaches, chronic fatigue. She went down, I think there's an aquarium in Falmouth Harbour where you can go below and sort of look out. Um, she got stuck down there once. She had to lie on one of the benches because she couldn't get back up the stairs. That's how chronic fatigue she was with it. And, um, and it was fibromyalgia, but I think CRPS as well. It started with her falling down the stairs and banging her back three months after a cesarean. And I see so many patients, women obviously, that have had cesarean as one of their triggers. You know, they have a back injury or they roll their ankle, you know, a year or two after having a cesarean. And these two big neurological traumas create that boom in the nervous system. Um, and yeah, she said to me, she's complete mental. And uh, she said, if you make me better, then I wanna do a truck pull. I said, well, I've got the truck and I'm gonna make you better. So, uh, so yeah, we did a little marketing picture of her trying to pull oh, my truck. Wow. That was like day, I think that was about a month or two into treatment. And then that was seven months into treatment was when she pulled. it was too easy with a Land Rover. So we had to put a ton of rugby players on it as well. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just it. amazing. She's since done a 26 hour kayak down uh, the Grand Union Canal. She runs 10Ks and it's just incredible. And she still gets flare up, she still gets pain, she still has some issues, but I see her about once every six or eight weeks usually now. 
something like that and just just you know what is amazing and if anyone's listening to this like in chronic pain and is thinking like i always try and find some kind of positive in the situation that you're in yeah it on it like i honestly don't think there'll be many things that challenge me as much as like living in chronic pain which makes me say like you know when she's like did a truck pull i've done a 26 hour kayak or mile whatever it was that totally seems achievable. like if you're out of pain like i feel like you will feel almost invincible so yes. you have that to look forward to if that is like sort of the position you're in at the moment and you do feel quite down about everything you'll i think you'll learn a hell of a lot from that experience and you'll grow and just have like more sort of mental capacity i guess or yeah absolutely and I think that's with, with sport and exercise as well, you know, relating to what you guys do. Injuries are part of it. You can't, be, you can't do sport, do activity, and expect to never get hurt, never have an injury. But as you have injuries and you get through them, that just builds your knowledge around your body and what stretches you need, what your biomechanics, what your limitations are. And I feel like if people have someone like me or a physio or a chiropractor, osteopath, whoever it is, that, or a personal trainer that helps them through those injuries, 10, 15 years into their sort of fitness lifestyle, they know so much. It's incredible what some people really know about their bodies in terms of what they should be doing. And, um, and ultimately, what we want is, is to be healthy when we're older. You know, yeah. it, it's not like James and, and other rugby players, it, that's the challenge. Like, how, if his back feels bad now, what does it feel like at 50? What does it feel like at 70? Um, oh, we've been upgrading. Oh, you'll be looking after him. <laughs> Yeah, we've um, been up. Yeah, I'll be looking after him. Like, um, so yeah, we've been upgraded, so we can. Uh, oh, excellent. Chat a bit longer. That's great. And you know, I think that's the other part of of where I sort of come with patients is choosing the right exercise for them, particularly for chronic pain. You know, you have people that go, "Oh, I want to do like Chuck Paul Claire. Her next thing is she wants to do an Ironman triathlon." And I'm thinking, God, oh, okay, that's that's really stepping up the uh, the challenge. Um, but you've got to choose the right exercise for what your body can do. And yeah. mm. there is a difference between health and fitness at some point in your life. When you're really young, fitness and health often go hand in hand. You know, you stay fit, you're healthy. But I think as you get older, you've got little injuries and problems and, and limitations on what you can do. Like choosing at 74 to do another marathon or to do your first ultra marathon, as opposed to deciding to walk 10 miles a day and take up yoga that's different yeah so, yeah i think that's such a good point and i think yeah like extreme fitness is not health but any extreme is not health like yeah. being a marathon marathon runners are not the healthiest people in the world they might be the fittest but they're not healthy whereas yeah. like you're saying if someone who is active goes to the gym a couple of times a week basically probably hits the government guideline type thing of you're yeah. gonna resistance train three times a week you're gonna yeah get your steps in you're gonna eat like five fruit and veg a day and not eat too much calories like that's health and yeah. there's a huge difference there so yeah i think that's a really good there's, point to make yeah there's no i mean you look at any professional sportsman and i guarantee a woman sportsman well, i don't even know what the correct terminology is person? um person sports person um i guarantee you that not living in the healthiest of bodies and they're doing everything they can to have the healthiest body they can given the extremity of the training protocol or the performance um and recovery protocol they're doing everything they can to basically keep their body in, in its best shape possible because ultimately if you're doing something to that degree there's no, you know, your, your body is going to have wear and tear, period. It's that simple. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some come out of it with that chronic pain element. And it, it, it's, you know, it's difficult to control that. And I, like I said, I'm lucky enough to have an interact and be confident when I see someone with chronic pain. It's like, well, you've got a, now you're here, you've got an 80 or 90% chance of a really good result because of this device. Um, but yeah. I think for many people, you go and see a neurologist that sees someone who's had massive trauma, chronic pain, they're on antidepressants, and you think, well, I'll just give you more antidepressants and more painkillers because they, they, they don't know about this. They, and there's, there's other people out there, there's chiropractors, acupuncturists, um, you know, various types of massage out there that can really help people. And I think that's important too. But with the, the ne this next generation of sort of 40, 50 year olds as well do a lot of activity. They're sort of learned to be active where, you know, you think about, you know, I'm 46 years old. I think about what my parents were doing for fitness at 46 years old. Ah, oh, there he is. You're right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, I don't know what he's saying. Anyway, carry on. I think talking about chronic pain, it's great to have a, you know, <laughs> someone poke their head in. A subject right here, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, this generation of people are way more active. You think of the, you know, who's at boot camps and who's going to yoga classes and running and the running clubs and that sort of thing. You, you think of what their parents were doing, you know, 25, 30 years ago. There were, you know, there was just the London Marathon and that was about it when it came to runs. There was no park run and 10Ks everywhere. So everyone's kind of in this sort of fitness kind of like, want to stay fit, want to be active, it's important. But what they're not looking at is that care side of things. And I find a lot of people feel guilty about coming to see me. You know, they think I can't spend some money on having treatment with you, even though it's really nice and I feel better because my kids need this. Or, you know, my kids are joking, I'm going for a massage, like it's a spa, but it's not. I've told them it's physical. <laughs> but they make me feel guilty about, you know, that, oh, yeah, it's all right for you. But I think a lot of people, particularly women, feel guilty about having their body looked after so that they continue to be active. And that's a tough yeah. choice to make. Well, we, sp yeah. we spoke about this in the other podcast, didn't we? Like investing in yourself and how important that is. And actually, even yeah. if you think of it as an investment for your kids, like if someone's coming to see you or like working with us to make sure that they stay healthy, that's like, there's nothing. And I, I think you don't realize that till like, I look at my parents and I'm like, I wish you'd spent more money looking after yourself and less money on me or like yeah. more oh, time, yeah, like allocating to that so yeah I think looking forward it's it's a big thing and one thing I just want to say, to say about I guess when you were talking I was thinking about like someone builds a relationship with you or like with Chloe and I and I think that's one of the key things that's different between going and seeing a neurologist or a specialist who you pay a ridiculous amount to see them for an hour can't get your life story out which is potentially what you kind of need and also yeah. the yeah. relationship, like you were saying at the start, every one of your clients is different. So we were sort of like, oh, what would you do for someone in pain? You can't say because you don't know what's causing it. You don't know what other stresses they have in their life. So you don't know yeah. how they've managed it before. And it's kind of similar to like blanket statements in fitness, like stick to these calories. Like, yeah, it's a starting point. Like you might have somewhere yeah. that where you start, but then depending on how they react to that and the treatment or the deficit, <laughs> like that's how you monitor and adapt and that's what makes a good coach and that's what makes a good sportsman like therapist or physio or yeah so yeah I think that's a really good point and and because I know we have only a couple of minutes left and I know that this is going to be so important to a lot of people that we coach could you touch on how you help or manage like menopausal symptoms in terms of those symptoms um 
you know, again, I think it's a case of, uh, you know, working through and helping people with, with pain and functionality within that. In terms of symptoms of menopause, per se, I don't sort of target those. Um, uh, and so, you know, interex, massage, flexibility, it's just about supporting, you know, the body through that process. And often people end up kind of fatigued and tired and, and achy and that kind of thing. So um, it's a significant part of the patients that I see that, that's included in that. But the, the sort of next part of my business that I'm getting onto is looking at bone density. And I've just, this is him over my, my shoulder there. That's my new bone density scanner. I'm the first clinic in the country to have one. And oh, it's amazing! So, Paul is so excited about this. Like a DEXA scan, or no? It's an ultrasound, so right. it's the same report. So as good. There's a DEXA scan, um, but you you don't need a doctor's referral uh, because it's not X-ray, and there's no risk to it whatsoever. You could have one every day if you wanted. It doesn't ultrasound doesn't harm you in any way, uh, and it also gives a fragility score, which a DEXA scan doesn't. So it looks at both the density of bone but also the fragility, how strong the bone is. You need a CT scan to get that. Um, and you know, the way I'm trying to frame it is that it, it's an osteoporosis prevention program. Like the NHS is sort of set up to treat osteoporosis and you only get a scan when there's enough risk factors. You've got to be kind of having unexplained, you've got to have had cancer treatment, early menopause and an unexplained fracture if you're under 50. If you're over 50, you don't need the fracture. You can have the, you've got to have three of them to get a scan to, to understand. Well, the other thing is for people just to understand is that like once you have osteoporosis, there isn't a hell of a lot you can do about it. So prevention really is key to that. That's right. The, what you can do is very limited. The further down the line you are, it's, it's really a nutritional and exercise loading. You've got to load the bones to strengthen them. The weaker the bones are, the less you can load them. So it just leaves you with less room. So I was looking at a, a system um, that's amazing and, and you can actually use it with osteoporosis for loading bones and the science behind it, it's, it's fabulous. But in doing that, that really made me understand that the important thing is learning your bone density early enough. Like it's no use finding out at 55 that you've got osteoporosis. You've, if you're gonna have osteoporosis at 55, you can predict it at 40 because you can see where you are on the average curve. And if you can predict it at 40 when your bones are strong enough to be jumping around, skipping, hopping, lunge jumps, that sort of thing, then that's the time to learn. So I'm kind of like osteopenia screening, osteoporosis prevention is, is what I think its value is. And that's different to the NHS, which is a case of, we'll only even scan you if we're almost positive you've got osteoporosis. And at that point, we'll put you on drugs and tell you to come back in three to five years for another scan to see if it's worked. Ridiculously unhelpful uh, strategy of dealing with it. I, so the ultrasound machine, I've, I've obviously I've done a lot of research on just because of what I do. And I know that it is just in terms of being able to really get an accurate reading of any part of your mass, whether it's skeletal or fat or muscle, it is the most, and I would go as far as to say that probably the only really accurate way to know. So I wanted to ask you, before somebody was to come in and get a bone density scan from you, are there any telltale signs where you would be like, mm, you might be in the running for issues down the line, there might be some kind of like very early stage symptoms where you would be like, you maybe should come in and we'll, we'll have a look? Yeah, it's not so much symptoms. The only real symptoms are going to be um, uh, unexplained fractures, really. Uh, right. and at that point, you're sort of further down the line. So it's more the risk factors. 
Um, so uh, eating disorders is one. Um, cancer treatment is another, radiotherapy. Um, uh, from a nutritional perspective, low calcium and vitamin D is another one. Um, and then bone density loss accelerates with menopause. So the average loss per year post menopause bone wow. density. So if you have an early menopause, of course, that means you've got longer at the 1.9%. So if you have it at 40, by the time you're 60, you've lost nearly 40% of your bone mass potentially. And, and it levels you, uh, out at about 70. Sorry, I was just going to say, if you take um, HRT, like hormone replacement therapy, would that reduce the bone density loss? Yes, yeah, it can do. That's one of one of the oh. efforts in that is to reduce yeah, bone loss because it's a, a, it's the lack of it's the lowered estrogen that increases the bone loss. So yeah, uh, so yes, it can do, but of course it carries side effects as well potentially. Yeah, um, yeah, especially if you've gone through early menopause because you've had breast cancer, you obviously can't take some of the hormones that if it was estrogen positive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's those risk factors. Like I said, if you've got a family, it's genetic as well. So if you've got a family member that's, that uh, has osteoporosis, um, you know, and, and then you've you know, had breast cancer and then you get menopause at, at 40, at 45, 46, there's not enough risk factors there for you to get a scan. And that's why in, in offering this sort of self-referral, it's, it's that element of it. And, and ultimately, um, uh, you know, I want people to be able to just go, do you know what, I, I'm worried, it's something I'm worried about. It's a bit like owning a house and not checking the foundations, knowing that one in 20 houses will fall down because of their, their foundations. And it's That's just a good lot, analogy. You know, and it like, oh yeah, let's spend 40 grand on a new roof, but don't, don't get the survey around for the, for the foundations. It should be fine. We've got a 19 out of 20 chance of being all right. So, you know, it's, I think it, I think it's, 50% of women over 50 will have an osteoporosis related fracture in their lives. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that high. That's the yeah. So, and obviously over 50 includes 80 year olds, 90 year olds, yeah. that sort of thing. But the average bone density of the population hits osteoporosis at 75. So normal is osteoporosis at 75. So if at 55, you're just below normal, then you can just run that parallel curve that's thousands and thousands of people and you can see that you'll hit it at 60 or 65 or 70. And what I want to do is be able to monitor people through time so we know their curve, whether, they're, whether it's a steep curve or a flat curve, and then see if we can reverse it, get them doing uh, impact exercises and, and so on and make sure calcium and vitamin D, are, uh, you know, they're, they're getting those in enough levels. Um, yeah, the supplementation is like so. So essentially, what you're trying to do is um, sniff out a rat <laughs> before it runs off and uh, and manage it for people. Exactly, exactly. And it's 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 surprising how much you need to load your bones. A lot of people. This again, in my sort of discussions with people looking at this this other equipment, is saying, "Oh, you know, what do you know about it?" It's like, "Oh, yeah, but I I run a bit and I've lifted some weights, so I'm okay. I do resistance training." And the research for this stuff showed that the optimal loading for your lower body to create bone is 4.3 times your body weight. Oh my God, I didn't... And for your geez. upper body is 2.5 times your body weight. So it's huge, isn't it? So that's why... This then, is so, wait, just a quick question. So we know that like when you run, you are putting through like a hell of a lot of your body weight through that. So is that why you're talking about impact being 
important yeah, because you're not we're not going to have people squatting four times their body weight <laughs> exactly exactly right. well this machinery was actually designed to look at brace positions in the body so isometric exercises that the the guy discovered where you're strongest and would set the machine to that length it's like a leg one of them's a leg press machine for instance and then it shows you how hard you're pressing and you're actually in strong brace positions able to generate those forces without right. lifting the weight but what matters though is a lot of people say oh well i run i do marathons so you know i've been pounding the streets but that's not enough marathon runners have less bone density than sprinters you're better off being heavy and sprinting than you are running a marathon if you want better bone density possibly under nutrition as well because that all sort of like the female athlete triad and staying like if you're an elite marathon runner you're pretty too lean really yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you're not loading your bones. That's the other thing is if you're light, if you're lightweight, you don't load your bones very much. So, um, you know, me being a former rugby player, if the bigger and heavy, heavier you are and the more you bash your body around. <laughs> Guys, don't listen to this. <laughs> the stronger your bones are, basically. Like, so, I, do you know what? I don't want to lose weight anymore. I'm just going to stay <laughs> heavy because it's going to be better for my bones. my bones. <laughs> Got to load your bones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's quite fascinating though, because you then get those people, and, and some of them are athletes that I've had in, that go, oh no, I'll, I'll be okay, and they end up, they're osteopenic in their late 30s, early 40s. And, and can you test for sarcopenia as well, like muscle wastage with that machine? No, not with this, just, just the bones. It's all set to, to, for the uh, echo of bones. Mm. Uh, so it's all on the bone side of things. Um, um, and, this, like, honestly, this is, it's, such an interesting chat and um obviously i mean we've only got a couple minutes left but i just want if any of our listeners we have a lot of clients in this round um and obviously this will go out as well on our podcast which we get god we get a lot of listeners if anybody does want to find you and potentially talk about treatments and what if you could help them where can they find you um and where are you based and yeah, I'm in, I'm in Buckinghamshire, a little place called Chartridge, which is near Chesham, Amersham, Beaconsfield, that kind of way. So it's kind of like 10 o'clock to London, just outside the M25 kind of area. My website is profortis.co.uk, P-R-O-F-O-R-T-I-S.co.uk. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure well, you can share the link to, to my website yeah. and, and anything on there. And, and, and even if it's just some that want to get hold of me and and have a, a, a chat about their pain and see if there's someone else, because they may be able to find someone near them that has the similar technology. There are in, other interact therapists around, and there's other people that use the Scanar, which is the original Russian technology. And for someone who's desperate in Glasgow, that's better than them trying to come down here and, uh, and get treatment from me, is to, to, you know, just to get access to some of that technology, potentially. But for the bone scanner, this is the only place you can get it up <laughs> at a few universities. So uh, I'm excited about that. Hey guys, you don't understand thank how you so much. It is. <laughs> yeah, Paul, thank, thank, you. thank you so much. We really appreciate it. I'm really, really pleased to be on. It's fabulous. I could talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love it. We love it. We love it.